This is the Legal Hands to the Face podcast with Bill Calarulo. What's up, everybody? What's up? Welcome back to another Legal Hands to the Face podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bill Calarulo. We have another great show scheduled for today. We have a special guest joining us later in the show, former Philadelphia Eagles cheerleader Dana Mulgiri. She has some great stories during her time as a cheerleader, but none better than her experience at Super Bowl 52. That's right. She was down on the sidelines cheering on our birds when they won their one and only Super Bowl in franchise history. So she's going to be joining us later in the show. I also want to talk a little bit about training camp. Today, Tuesday, August 1st, was the first day the Philadelphia Eagles put on full pads. So we'll talk about that, some of the training camp battles. But guys, before we get into it, just a friendly reminder, if you're not following us on social media, head on over to all your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Threads, Twitter. We are there. We are posting content every single day. And also a reminder, we have signed a deal with the Jacob Sports Network. That's J-A-K-I-B on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to their YouTube channel because they're going to be live streaming our show every single Monday night during the season. And I'm also going to be co-hosting their halftime show with Mark Farzetta live at the Ocean Casino. So be sure to subscribe to the Jacob Sports Network as well. And if you haven't already, leave us a review on the podcast. It really helps us reach more Eagles fans. The support from all of you has been phenomenal, and I can't thank you enough. But let's jump right in to some training camp observations after today, August 1st. Let's get the bad out of the way. I did a video a few months ago after the Super Bowl about Hassan Reddick's contract and whether or not he was going to cause any issues because he is severely underpaid. Well, today, after practice, a reporter asks Hassan Reddick, do you feel you're underpaid? And his response wasn't necessarily bad, but he basically said, well, what do you guys think? You see what's happening out there. And he's definitely underpaid. So let's hope this doesn't become a problem. We all remember after Terrell Owens' first year here, he made a lot of noise wanting a new contract. I don't think Hassan Reddick is going to do that. He's obviously showed up. He's not causing any problems. But let's take a look at his contract. And this is why I say there is no doubt this guy is underpaid. Last year, he signed a three-year, $45 million deal with an annual cap hit of only $15 million. Well, to put that into perspective, the other top players in the NFL, TJ Watt, $112 million with a $28 million annual hit. Joey Bosa, $135 million with a $27 million hit. Miles Garrett, $125 million with a $25 million hit. Khalil Mack, $141 million with a $23.5 million hit. Max Crosby, $94 million with a $23.5 million hit. And don't forget, Hassan Reddick was number three in the league last year with 16 sacks, led the entire NFL with five forced fumbles, and his total contract value is 24th in the league out of all edge rushers. There is no denying that this guy is underpaid, and he continues to not get the respect that he deserves around the National Football League. I don't understand it. He's the only player in NFL history to record double-digit sacks for three different teams in three straight years, but there's still a lack of respect. But I am hopeful that this is not going to be a problem. I just had Joe DeCamera on as a guest last week, if you guys listened. And we were talking about how this Philadelphia Eagles team doesn't really have a lot of drama 
heading into this high expectation season. Everybody's healthy, knock on wood, and no drama. I'm hopeful that this doesn't turn out to be drama that we did not need. Does Hassan Reddick cause any noise waiting for a new contract? I really pray and hope not. You know, Howie Roseman, I'm sure he understands that this guy is underpaid. I don't think you're going to see any sort of new contract or extension this early, but it may be halfway through the season if Hassan Reddick's having another good year. Maybe they extend him, figure out a way to get a little bit more money, maybe do a lot of guaranteed money up front to keep that annual hit low. But let's hope Hassan Reddick doesn't cause issues, but there is no denying this guy is underpaid. He is one of the best defensive players in the entire NFL, and that is not an exaggeration. Staying on the defensive side of the ball, some observations that are interesting. We've talked about that safety position, and we really thought that Terrell Edmonds, the free agent they signed from Pittsburgh, had that safety position locked down. Well, that's not the case. If you look at what's been going on with the two safeties so far, and let's preface this with it is still really early. Today was the first day with pads. But Reed Blankenship has gotten all of the first-team reps at that one safety position. They seem to be very high on Blankenship. We saw what he was able to do last year when he came in, when Chauncey Gardner-Johnson went down. But the other safety position, they have been rotating Terrell Edmonds and Kavon Wallace. If you guys listened to Barrett Brooks on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he said, look out for Kavon Wallace. He was really hopeful that this was going to be the year that Wallace could put it all together and potentially crack that starting lineup. This is Kavon Wallace's fourth year. He was a fourth-round draft pick in 2020 out of Clemson. Everybody knows when you draft a safety out of Clemson, there's going to be crazy comparisons to the one and only Brian Dawkins, which are just expectations you cannot live up to. But maybe Kavon Wallace can finally put it all together in this fourth year and be that other starting safety. Sidney Brown, the safety they drafted this year out of Illinois that a lot of people were high on, He's still been playing with the second team. Again, it's early. Doesn't mean that he won't have some time to crack that starting lineup. But as of now, he has not gotten any first-team reps. Moving down to linebacker, N'Kobe Dean, similar to Reed Blankenship, is getting all the first-team reps. He does not come off the field. But the other linebacker position, that off-the-ball linebacker that a lot of people thought was going to be Nicholas Morrow out of Chicago, well, Morrow's splitting reps right now with third-year player Christian Ellis. Again, if you listen to the Barrett Brooks podcast, man, Barrett's been all over this. He said, after OTAs, look out for Christian Ellis. Barrett actually played with his father in the NFL. He said, this kid can play, and he was very hopeful. We've only seen six games of Christian Christian Ellis in his NFL career and mostly on special teams, but when he's gotten his opportunities, he's looked good. He's been splitting reps with Nicholas Morrow, And every day after practice, that's who you're hearing about. You're not hearing about Dean making any big plays or Morrow making any big plays. It's always Christian Ellis. So be on the lookout for that. Who's going to be that off-ball linebacker, Nicholas Morrow or Christian Ellis? That's an exciting battle. Jumping over to the offensive side of the ball, a starting position battle that really has turned out to be anything but a battle is right guard. Cam Juergens and Tyler Steen, a lot of people thought, going into this season, that it was going to be a battle for that position. Cam Jurgens is getting all of the first-team reps. Tyler Steen is only on the second team, and Jurgens looks good. He's put on some weight. He said today he's a little over 300 pounds. I was saying all offseason, I really thought that chatter about him being undersized was overstated. You look at Isaac Sayamala, 
he was only 300, well, listed at 304 pounds. Cam Jurgens was listed at 302. Not much difference in their size, and Jurgens is athletic enough and strong enough that I was hopeful he was going to win that job, and it looks like he already has. But again, it's early, but if Jurgens can play the guard position like what we saw him play at center in the preseason, then that offensive line is in good shape, really good shape. And guys, I don't know if you're following what's going on with Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos and what he said about new offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett for the New York Jets, but man, it was shocking that another NFL coach would come out and say those types of things. Sean Payton said publicly that Nathaniel Hackett last year in Denver was one of the worst coaching jobs he's ever seen which then caused quarterback for the Jets, Aaron Rodgers, who's got a close relationship with Nathaniel Hackett, to fire back. So that Week 5 matchup is going to be exciting between the Broncos and the Jets. And I always look at everything from the eyes of an Eagles fan. Good news for the Eagles. The Broncos and the Jets play in Denver in Week 5. You know the Jets are going to be up for that game. And then good news for the Eagles, the Jets come back home Week 6 to play Philadelphia. So hopefully the New York Jets have a letdown game in week six after they're all up for that Denver Broncos game. But that'll be interesting. You know, you hear about that coaching fraternity and how these guys all take care of one another. For another coach to come out and say it's one of the worst coaching jobs I've ever seen, surprising. Not that Sean Payton was wrong. We saw a horrible decline by Russell Wilson. He went from being one of the best quarterbacks in the league to being in the bottom tier, if that, last year. Was that all Nathaniel Hackett? We'll see this year what Sean Payton can do. And then other national news for the NFL is this running back situation. It is not good to be an NFL running back in today's NFL. You look at this season, what's occurred this offseason. Ezekiel Elliott, 27 years old, cut. Dalvin Cook, 27 years old, cut. Leonard Fournette, 28 years old, cut. Kareem Hunt, 27 years old, not re-signed. Joe Mixon, only 26 years old, had to take a pay cut to stay in Cincinnati. Aaron Jones, only 28 years old, had to take a pay cut to stay in Green Bay. Austin Eckler for the Chargers asked for a trade. He's not going anywhere. Derrick Henry, there were rumors he was on the market, but there was no trade value for him. Saquon Barkley, 26 years old, had to get the franchise tag. He renegotiated, but he only made about $900,000 more. Josh Jacobs leads the NFL in rushing. He's only 25 years old. He cannot get a big contract. He gets franchise tag. And the same thing for Tony Pollard. And you see what's going on with Jonathan Taylor and Jim Ursay. Taylor requesting a trade. It is not a good time to be a running back in the NFL. This is not the NFL of the 90s. The Emmitt Smith Dallas Cowboys and the Terrell Davis Denver Broncos, those things don't exist anymore. I mean, in the 90s, the Broncos, the Cowboys, they were winning Super Bowls with cowbell running backs who really carried the day. That is not the case in today's NFL. You look at some of the last few Super Bowl winners. Last year, the Kansas City Chiefs, they're running back in the Super Bowl. Isaiah Pacheco, a seventh-round rookie. The year before that, the Los Angeles Rams, they had a combination of Sony Michelle, Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers. The year before that, the Tampa Bay Bucks, they had Leonard Fournette, but they was on a one-year, three-and-a-half-million-dollar deal. Year before that, Damian Williams for the Kansas City Chiefs. Year before that, the New England Patriots, Rex Burkhead, James White, Sony Michelle. And then we all remember Super Bowl 52 for the Philadelphia Eagles, Jay Ajayi, LeGarrette Blunt, 
and rookie Corey Clement, who really hasn't done anything since that Super Bowl. But you do not need to pay a running back a ton of money in today's NFL. It's unfortunate. I feel for these guys. The average life of an NFL player is a little over three years. For running backs, it's even less, two and a half years. And these running backs come into the league on a four-year contract. If you were a first-round draft pick, there's that fifth-year option. You have a good four or five years. All these owners and GMs have to do is give you the franchise tag. Now they get you for five or six years, and then you're probably getting cut because we all know how quickly these NFL running backs decline. Tell your kids, don't become running backs. They're better off being a wide receiver, certainly a quarterback, a defensive end, but the running back position is not a lucrative position. But guys, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to our special guest, former Philadelphia Eagles cheerleader and lawyer. So just like me, she's a lawyer who does some other things. Okay, let's welcome to the show former Eagles cheerleader and attorney, Dana Mulgiri. What's up, Dana? Thanks for coming on. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Like I was saying to you earlier, I thought this would be fun to bring on a little bit of a different perspective. We've had some former NFL players from sports talk hosts, but we all see the Philadelphia Eagles cheerleaders every single week. They get the fans going, but no one really knows what it looks like to become an Eagles cheerleader and then what you guys go through. So why don't you tell us, when were you an Eagles cheerleader? How long ago? I was a cheerleader for the 2015 through 2018 seasons. Man, you picked such a good time. <laughs> right? <laughs> I got the prime years. Yeah, that is, in, that is incredible. So how did you go about, I'm assuming tryouts are, are pretty tough? Yeah, so it starts um, in mid-March. The, the Eagles have an open call audition between 400 and 500 women typically show up for that from age 18 and high school grad up to whatever. There is no cap on the high end. And from the open call, they have a semifinal round. If you make it past that, you learn another routine. They have a professional interview. They want to see how you speak, how you interact with people, because that's such a big component of being a cheerleader. And then when I cheered, the final audition was live in front of an audience on stage. There was a physical fitness portion, a speaking portion, the dance portion, and then the squad was announced live. As I understand it, these days, they have to perform a solo dance routine in lieu of the live format that was the, the norm when I cheered. And you were doing all of this while still practicing law. Yeah, it was the most hands-on, part-time, full-time job I've ever had. Damn. So tell us about how do you find out you made the team? That's got to be exciting. So when I cheered, there were 60 finalists vying for 36 spots and returning cheerleaders have to re-audition every season. So your spot is never guaranteed. Every year I cheered, there were women who were cut who had been on the team for one, two, three years. So it really kept you on your toes. You never knew if you were guaranteed to come back the following year. And out of 60 finalists, 36 girls were announced in front of the live audience that they had become Philadelphia Eagles cheerleaders. Well, wow, so you did it from 2015 to 2018. So you get you find out you make the team, and then what's what's your training camp look like? The players are in training camp now, but what's the cheerleaders? What do they have to go through? Yeah, we would start the very next night. Um, we typically practice two nights a week for three hours at a time. There is a dance studio inside the link that is exclusively for the use of the cheerleaders. Uh, early in the season, we started with training on speaking, fan engagement, our uniforms, we 
don't have the luxury of the players who get five, five hundred. I don't know how many they get of their of their jerseys. We got one uniform, and it was a big deal to know how to properly take care of it because we are elite NFL cheerleaders, and that is a big component of the presentation. And the number of appearances we do, we had to be in tra- training for that. You know, the speaking, and then you get into the dance training, and a lot of people don't actually watch the cheerleaders at the games to know how much we do, but we are moving the whole time. We do bumps along the sidelines during the breaks of play. We perform at the quarter breaks and we do a long routine at the beginning of the game. And we have to learn all of that. We don't really repeat things. So May, June, July, you were learning material that you needed for October. So it was a big learning curve right off the bat. A a lot of moving, a lot of memorization. So yeah, it was, it was big. This this time of year was like the most stressful time for cheerleaders. Now, outside of the Super Bowl, which we'll talk about in a second, did you travel with the team or is it is only home games? Only home games. The, the stadium is considered the home team's side, the entire stadium, for home games. Gotcha. So then 2017, the team's having a great season, and you get to go to Super Bowl 52. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh my God. Just being on the sidelines for the playoff games. I mean, start there, you know, it had been a while since we had a playoff game at home that we won. And the, the atmosphere of those games was incredible. We wake up the next morning, like we're going to Minnesota in a week. Like we need to prepare for that. Um, We, we had so much to do in the, in the week and a half or so before we left for the game, because the cheerleaders are the most accessible part of the game day experience. There are so many people who never get to see a game, but they want to feel that they are part of that game day emotion. So we were tasked with appearances almost every day up to the Super Bowl. We would go in groups of two to four and all of the sponsorships, you see the Acme's and the local bars and things, we would go there to meet with fans who you know that was the, that was their Super Bowl moment of feeling like getting ready with the team and and being part of it all. So that was a really stressful couple of weeks. And then you get there and it's like, oh my god, the the biggest stage in sports. I mean, there are so many people. There are so many players who are fans. It was amazing to see that, just like us and our families, the players who were playing in the game and their families were there. Players of other teams were there. It, it was a really leveling moment to to realize how big it is and what a special moment it is for everyone, not just you, this very small cog in the very big system. So how, how long in advance did you go out? The week before? Some girls went the week before with the team, and then the rest of us went out at three days in advance. Did you, did you geek out at all? Did you see any celebrities that made you geek out while you were uh, in Minnesota? We saw Jamie Foxx <laughs> at one of the parties, and that was pretty cool. And they always tell you to – you know, stay level-headed. It's tough when you when you see these people. And I, my as you know, my grandpa was a World War II vet, and it was very important to me when I found out that the man doing the coin toss was a World War II vet. I wanted to shake his hand. And um, Woody Williams was his name. He was a Medal of Honor recipient, and it was like for me very surreal because I think the military stuff really reminds you of like how lucky we are to be able to have sports and so many things. So that was a pretty surreal moment for me. Yeah, and who's the little guy on your lap that keeps trying to get in the interview here? This is Zeppeli. He thinks that he is Swoop and is on the team as well. So, yeah, he yeah. likes to be part of it. <laughs> and 
you talked about your grandfather, and I saw pictures after Super Bowl 52. Your dad and your brother were there too, right? Yes, my dad won the season ticket holder lottery, um, which was surreal. I got the email in the morning. I was like, oh my God, you guys are coming too. So to be able to have that experience with them, the team has a welcome party for the players and their families. I was able to include my dad and brother and they took pictures with Carson Wentz and all the players. And it was just really cool for us all to experience it together because I grew up going to games with them. So I was happy that we had that moment together too. Yeah, that is awesome. And then I know you didn't get a Super Bowl ring, but you still got something and I've seen it and it's pretty cool. Yes, I have it here with me. This is my Super Bowl necklace. Um, oh, that's awesome. It's the front of the ring. So it is what the ring would look like. But at the time, it was the trend to give cheerleaders necklaces. And if you flip it over on the back, it says my name and the year. So it's personalized. And it's a pretty cool thing to have. One day when I'm on Jeopardy, that will be my fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> is that a goal of yours now, to get on Jeopardy? That's yes. The next <laughs> yeah. So you have that in an awesome case. Do you ever wear that thing? Um, you know, I wore it to a game one time and I thought that was probably one of the stupidest things I've ever done. <laughs> you know, not sure wearing a $20,000 piece of jewelry in public is the move, but, uh, yeah, I kind of keep it locked up now. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool though, that the team took care of their cheerleaders. Cause you guys do work hard, especially here and everything you go through leading up to not only the Super Bowl but the whole season that you do. And you got to do something else pretty cool. You, like I said, you pick such good damn years <laughs> to be a cheerleader you got to go to London for the first overseas game that the Eagles ever had. Tell me about that. Yes, there were eight of us who were selected to go, and we went out for a full week of promotional work. It was a lot. You know, we, again, fans were there. Not all the fans were going to the game. They were going to the appearances and the Eagles bar and just wanting to be part of the feeling of the Eagles' excitement. And it was so much, so many people, so cool. The game itself was cool because you have all of these overseas fans who, you know, they're football fans, but not our football fans. And they're there wearing jerseys of every team because we asked a couple people, they picked the, the team they cheer for by the colors because so many of our teams have very colorful. There are a lot of like yeah. Dolphins jerseys. Um, but God, going to Wembley Stadium, like seeing a game played there. And as I said before, home games, the whole stadium is the home team side. We were the away team. So the Eagles did not have the cheerleaders swoop, any of their like support personnel on the field because we were the visitors. But you went for promotional stuff. Yes. And we got to go to the game. Yeah. Very, very cool. So then you stopped doing it in 2018. Did you stop or did you not make the team? I chose that it was my time to give someone else my spot. It was, it was starting to be a lot with, with work and I had, the the best years, you know. Yeah, you had already reached the the pinnacle. What a great memories you had there. And you're a diehard Eagles fan, like you said. You've always gone to games, so that must have been really, really cool, really cool. So let's jump over then, because I know you still follow the team. What expectations do you have for them this year? What are you excited about in 2023? First of all, Kelly Green, who is it? Yeah, how, cool, <laughs> how cool is that? And tell me, we don't have. The best damn fans in the world. Did you see how many people were lined up partying just to get those Kelly Green jerseys? Tailgating jersey <laughs> releases. I, I That's a something that only happens in Philly, I bet. Only in Philly, that is for sure. Yeah. But you getting one? You going to get a Kelly Green? You know, I have a Reggie White. So 
Nice. I, I might just pull that out, but I'm going to go look. Maybe I could use a Jalen Kelly Green. Yeah, I think they're already back ordered from what I'm hearing. Yeah. I saw, is- I, and they had to cancel some of the orders, even. There were so many. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but Reggie White's a great one. But mm-hmm. yeah, I love I love Jalen Hurts. Is that your is that your favorite player these days? Yeah, I mean, a guy who can get a master's degree at the same time that he gets his team to the Super Bowl. I mean, does he not sleep? I don't I don't know if there is a more disciplined leader in the NFL. He he really is something and he puts his best foot forward. I think he brings out the best in his guys, and it's very evident. Yeah, he's so easy to cheer for. He's so easy to cheer for. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? What are your expectations? You think they're going back to the Super Bowl this year? I don't want to be a jinx, you know. We, we Italians don't say things in advance, but yeah, I mean, I think we're the team to beat, and I, I don't see anyone else in our, especially in our division, coming close to us. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, they, the only issue I have is history's not on their side when you look at the Super Bowl hangover. No NFC team has lost the Super Bowl and got back in almost 50 years. No NFC East team has repeated in 20 years. But you look at this team, and you mentioned Jalen Hurts. It all comes right from him and that veteran leadership. If any team is poised to get past all of those historical things that are against them, I think it's this one. But that schedule's tough. So it's a very hard schedule. So you still go to games? You go in any games this year? I do. We're season ticket holders. I'll be there every game. That is awesome. a lot of late ones, though. I'm not a big fan of the night games, but you know, I yeah. think both of our Kelly Green games are night games. Are they? I know, I know the Dolphins is, um, but I and think then it's both. the and it's the, the Buffalo bi- game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may be right. It may be the late game, and then the home opener this year is a Thursday night game against mm-hmm. Minnesota. Yeah, crazy schedule all around for us. Not a lot of legal work getting done Friday morning. I think. No, no, no. I always have to start my day a little late. (laughs) (laughs) But Dana, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad you joined us. We got to hear a little bit about the cheerleader story because we're all so focused on the players. So a lot of times our our cheerleaders who work hard get neglected. So I'm glad we could uh, have you come on and appreciate your time. And maybe we'll have you back on during the season to uh, talk about some experiences at the games after you watch some big wins and stay up late. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. All right, Dana, we will talk to you soon. And guys, that's going to wrap up the episode today. As always, we appreciate the support, appreciate you guys listening, and go Birds!